Hello fam, this is Ro and you're listening to Sick of Being Sick. Please follow, like, subscribe or do whatever it is that your app does to listen to our upcoming episodes. Hello, thank you for tuning in for episode 6. Um, this one is a scary one for me. It's one where I'll open up about things that I don't usually open up with my close friends and family. Um, it's it's mainly about topics that I keep between my therapist and I. But I think given the circumstances and how challenged my identity has been in every single way because of cancer, from intelligence to um, intelligence meaning more so my brain, um, physical appearance... You know, I think cancer has really stripped me down to zero and <laughs> made me naked um, and has to f- and has forced me to connect with my deeper self on like who I am outside of all these things that I think make up my identity. To give everything, I think, a little bit of context. When I was little, I think it was, this was, was primary school. I was bullied for a good part of five, well, three, four years to the point that I would, you know, beg my mom to not let me not go to school. Hard, really hard time. And most of the bullying came from picking on my physical appearance. I was on the bigger side. I wore glasses. I had curly hair. I just didn't fit in the mold in Spain, in Madrid, in a private school, which was skinny, lanky, long blonde hair type of girl and I haven't really explored well I have explored recently like how much bullying has affected me in my you know overall persona that I think I was (laughs) or am um, as a young adult it's something that I was able to just kind of put in a little box, put it away in my life and never really revisit it until I started therapy last year and I started to realize how much impact it's had in so much of my behavior in life in real overall. And then after putting all of this aside, I have always been really good at school. I always got really good grades. I went to amazing high schools, um, private boarding schools all over the world. And uh, I went to Parsons, one of the best um, design schools in the world. So um, I always really kind of created an identity around me, around my my intelligence, I guess, or my ability to, to understand and make something out of my <laughs> thoughts <laughs> or work. And not so focused so much on my physical appearance. But this period, especially I think I mentioned in episode one, a moment in the hospital where I was told I was going to be giving uh, steroids, essentially, to bring down the swelling of my brain. I really started to get in touch with my biggest physical insecurities where I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get big. On top of this, I have a tumor in my brain. So, you know... (laughs) If 90% of my identity was my intelligence or my ability to process things, um, having that attacked by a tumor in my brain um, and brain surgery who, you know, 
luckily it went amazing, but I could have left brain surgery learning to count, like having to learn how to count from one to 10 again. So this overall experience, as I was saying earlier, has really challenged what I perceive myself as or try to present myself to to other people. And it's also super interesting to see how um, other people react to like how somebody is physically processing this. So I'm kind of going to cut this down into like my experience with body, my experience with head (laughs) or face, mostly relevant to my scar and my hair. And the last section more so just being mind and um, my my brain side of it. So my main takeaways psychologically. From a body perspective, so kind of just going back to what I just said earlier, I was bullied for a good part of my childhood. Something that I put away, I didn't really, you know, revisit that experience, but of course it's affected in a lot of a lot of my insecurities growing up and always trying to, you know, be active. I, I love food, so I've always worked out so that I can eat, not to be skinny. <laughs> I think a few friends will be able to relate to this. Like sports for me, it's, I think, two things. One being mostly therapy. It's super therapeutic for me to be able to work out. And it also allows me to sustain an appearance that allows me to continue to enjoy eating and enjoy indulging in good food. And although I had a lot of insecurities off the back of the bullying, I think I had reached a point of body acceptance and liking my physical appearance for who I was. Maybe because it was balanced by my (laughs) intelligence and that's what people praised me with. I don't know. I wouldn't be able to say exactly. And now with the amount of medicines that you're given through a disease like this, your physical appearance fluctuates from like every single day. There's days that I feel like I am so big and I'm so bloated and I'm so round. And then there's days that my mom is like, have you weighted yourself? You're you're losing weight. And it's just, I don't know. it, It really has challenged that component that I thought I was accepting my body and then as I said in episode one the moment I heard I was gonna get steroids I was like fuck this is the thing that makes you bloated now like people are gonna comment on this right and when I said people are gonna comment on this I say that because there's truth in that people do comment on that it's kind of it's sad and it's terrifying that as a young adult I Two examples I'm going to give you. Um, Both are kind of opposites. But I went to my primary care doctor with my mom. She had to pick up some some medicines. And as I sat next to her, the doctor looked at me and she was like, oh, you're my patient as well, right? And I was like, yeah. And she, okay, mind you, I'm wearing a headscarf. Like, I'm screaming, hello, I'm an oncology patient. (laughs) And she looks at me and she's like, oh, like you're, you're looking like a little bit stronger. And I looked at her and I said, do you want to just tell me how it is? (laughs) Are you seeing me like I'm, I'm larger? Is that what you're trying to say? And she's like, yeah, like you're looking bigger. 
And I try to keep a straight face, but of course, when you're down and someone kicks you more, <laughs> I started crying and I told her, you know, for young adults, it's extremely hard as it is to be okay with our bodies. Add on top of that a cancer layer with medicines that make you super bloated and make you not know who you are when you look at yourself in the mirror. And on top of that, you really have to comment on my appearance. I've gotten off with what I have going on. So please don't do this to, to people who are going through this at my age. You know, I've been, I've been the one to get the hit, but make sure that nobody else hears this from you in the future. And she took a step back and she reflected on it. She asked me for a hug. I, you know, kindly rejected. I am just not, I am empathetic, but I am not stupid. <laughs> and that's one of the examples of, you know, people do comment. And then there's the other opposite example. So I've recently come back to the south of Spain to relax. I'm on break from treatment. And because of chemo and radiation, my appetite was close to zero. Um, so I would eat things as, you know, as I would feel, but I maybe have like Sometimes one meal a day, sometimes a meal and a half, sometimes two meals or three if it was a good day. So I came to South of Spain and um, I think it's one of my mom's friends looked at me and she was like, oh, bro, like you look great. You look so skinny. And I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe that's what cancer does to you. <laughs> like the fact that you have to comment on or trying to give me approval on my physical appearance during these times, whether it's a negative or it's a, or it's a good. I mean, maybe I'm defining them, <laughs> the way I'm defining them is a problem in its own. Like, it's not a good that you're telling me I'm skinny, like I'm okay the way I was, um, or that I'm skinnier. And it's, you know, not a bad that you're telling me I'm big because, you know, if you're, you're that size, it's not bad. And I think that there's... um there's people who I feel like mainly women, but I'm super curious to hear about the main male perspective. But I think mainly women will relate to this. It's something that I, I've personally had to face. And I don't know if it's a cultural thing in Spain. I don't know if it's something I know I have a, a one specific friend, Gris, who will relate to this 100% because her and I have talked about this so much. But just when you go away and you come back and your family sees you and they tell you, oh, you look so skinny or you lost so much weight, like it's always supposed to be taken as a compliment. Or if, you know, in your teens, you've got acne, they're like, oh my God, your face is so bad. It's like, bitch, I have a fucking mirror in my house. I can see it. You don't have to tell me how I look or remind me or try to make me feel less of or more of because of what I have to culturally look like. So I think I don't want to deroute too much into like the cultural, uh, physical appearance side of things, but it's just being conscious of, you know, the experiences that one has to live with that, adding the layer of cancer. It's it's super hard because before I would have been able to kind of, you know, brush it off. And now it's, it breaks me down. It, I, because I don't know who I am or, 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 or what I'm supposed to be looking like, or if the way I look is right, even for my health. Like, you know, if someone tells me you look bigger, I worry, like, is that unhealthy? Is that going to affect my treatment? Is that going to affect the, what I'm doing? And, what I'm trying to do to to get better like 
the fight is so physical and mental. I mean, not many people understand. So I think that that was probably the hardest one the for me, the body one, um, because it was so tied to my trauma with bullying as a as a kid and it resurfacing in the last year and then now being so vulnerable physically and mentally as going through this new way of life with cancer it's it's definitely been the hardest and then i guess the next one is hair head scar everything that has changed in the top half of my body from shoulders up. I now have to live with a huge scar in my head, which everybody says, you know, your hair will grow, you won't see it. But I still have to feel my head and the the trauma that comes with that scar, the surgery, the potential future surgeries, and the hair component of it. So from the hair perspective, it's... It's an interesting one because from the get-go at the hospital, I was like, please shave it all off. Like, shave it all off and then, you know, do the the surgery as you have to. And the neurosurgeon was like, no, we're not allowed to. I can only shave the part that I'm using or I'm going to, I'm using, I'm going to operate on. So after surgery in the surgical ICU, when they removed the bandage to remove my drainage, this part is gross. It was extremely painful. It's essentially two tubes that were coming out of my brain to drain liquids. <laughs> um, I saw myself for the first time in sort of like a glass screen that um, was a door. And I could see I had my whole middle part of my head shaved and hair on either side of my hair, of my head. This hair, I'm telling you, was just balls of blood dried with my hair so it wasn't even like savageable hair it was just there so short, long story short we managed my mom and I managed to get the nurses to to bring the hospital hairdresser to come shave my head um, and they have a policy where they don't shave heads when there's a wound and I had my whole scar um, and I still had my stitches and all that, but the nurses were super kind and they managed to get it all done and uh, shaved it all for for me from either for like both my sides and cleaned the whole thing. Um, there's a video uh, that I'll tag to this of that moment that did really well on TikTok. <laughs> but well, that was the first time that I saw myself without any hair. It was fully shaved. I mean, maybe it was like, a one, I don't know. Um, but it was super empowering. Just looking at myself in the mirror and still feeling okay, feeling like I had survived crazy brain surgery on top of that. Now I had no hair. <laughs> and it speaks to one of my big fears that I had before I even knew I had cancer. My mom has alopecia, meaning not the alopecia that's super spotty and your hair falls fully, but just her hair doesn't grow more. So she's got really thin hair and not much of it. And she had it after having my sister and I. It's very typical to, very common to have it after giving birth. And I've always been, you know, I could start to see my hair thinning throughout the last year. And I was super paranoid about, you know, 
oh my God, should I go like get a hair transplant in Turkey? Do they even do that for women? Is this, you know, like, am I going to be without hair and move, like move forward six months now? I have no hair and I, I feel stronger than before. The hair from being shaved and seeing myself without hair being shaved from the first time versus hair falling, it's a whole different experience because it almost feels like your hair shaved is a choice, hair falling and, you know, putting your hand through your head and looking at your hand and having hundreds of hairs that have falling was a bit more traumatic at first. At treatment, I was told that I, you know, chemo wasn't going to make my hair fall or my eyebrows or my, like, you know, overall body hair. And in radiation, they told me that the part that was being radiated would, like, the hair would fall. But for me, I thought this was just like a tiny little spot exactly where my tumor, my tumor was. And that was not true. <laughs> After I think it was like 15 sessions out of 30. My sister, my mom started commenting, you know, like, don't you see yourself with like less hair? And I was like, yeah, you're right. Like there's definitely less hair now. And I would put this like lotion on my scar and on my radiated sort of area every day. And it got to one day that we were putting it on and my dad and I like looked at our hands and it was just full of, full of hair. And we're like, okay, the hair is starting to fall. And um, now I have like a huge headband, pretty much sort of shape of a section that has no hair. And then I have like a, a bold patch in the back of my head. So it's not even like I'm fully bold. <laughs> I've got uh, different patterns. And now it takes three months for that to grow. But at first it was extremely terrifying to just see like, oh fuck, like what if it doesn't grow? Like they say it grows, but a lot of people in radiation, their hair doesn't grow. Like, is this, you know, just another thing to deal with on top of everything else. And the moment I started to make videos about it <laughs> on Instagram, on TikTok, laugh about it, kind of humanize it and bring, you know, not hide it, just make it real and show that it's there and show that it's something that people go through and receiving comments from other people on the internet being like, oh my God, I went through this or my mom went through this or my dad went through this. Don't worry, it's going to grow. It looks amazing. Like, just keep fighting. It's so helpful. So yeah, the internet was an amazing, as, as bad as the internet or social media can be sometimes, it was an amazing avenue for me to to normalize my appearance through these hard times. From the last point, more so being mind and intelligence, my intellectual intelligence hasn't really been challenged during this time, mostly because the work that I've been doing or... By choice, definitely, because I have chosen to do light work that I know how to do and doesn't really challenge me in the immediate, just so that the energy that I do have, I can reallocate to my health and feeling good and doing other things outside of work that I enjoy. I could definitely challenge it more by doing more reading and things like that, but for me, this is what's working. What has 100% been challenged is my emotional intelligence um, throughout this experience. And 
I think it's going to be definitely a bonus on the other side of this. Yeah, the emotional intelligence side of it, more so being from a self-awareness component. A few years ago, I did a test. I can't remember the name of it, but in school, in my master's in Harrisburg, (laughs) I had to do a test about emotional intelligence and which parts I was good at and which parts I was bad at. Um, And my lowest score came at... Self-awareness. I have really good awareness of what's happening in a room and what's happening with others. And I'm able to apply empathy to other people, but I'm not so good at doing that to myself, which I think um, this whole experience has a broader light on that. And I am trying to work on being able to apply that self-awareness to myself and making the most I can or learning what I can to apply it. And these are, I guess, some of the core four things that I've taken away that may be helpful for, for others. They may seem obvious, but they have been important for me. First one being, I learned that I am a lot more than my intelligence and my looks. The moment you take that away, I'm still a person. I'm still strong. I'm still I'm fighting. I'm, I'm laughing. So it's been really refreshing to have all those components challenged and still feel good. I have unlearned to value myself and others based on those categories as well. So this kind of goes into my next point. I have really shifted my way of thinking from, oh, I have to impress that person based on like, what what are they going to think I look like? What are they going to think of me? To a mindset of, do I truly connect with that person emotionally? And in a deeper level, and this goes for family, it goes for friends, it goes for any sort of, like, it goes for romance, it goes for any sort of connection. Uh, Going deeper into that understanding of that relationship and what is the engagement rather than are we trying to, is that person supporting me to try to get something out of me, vice versa, or is it just genuine, you know, good support, which is um, amazing when it comes. And there's a lot of it and I'm so grateful for it. And then the last one is just how important kindness and empathy are. They go a very, very long way. And this is an obvious one, but we don't apply them and we don't practice them enough. And this is for everyone, not just for, you know, applying it on those that are going through something. I would try and I think my way of living now is kind of just going through life with a neutral perspective on what a person's situation might be and trying to apply sort of that kindness and empathy equally on everybody. Some people might have it harder, some might not. That's relative because everybody perceives that different. But if you often apply a lot more kindness and empathy to somebody who's going through something, make sure you take that experience and that action and that sort of way of being and apply it to everybody around you and apply it to yourself and I think it will make you better in the long term or it is making me better in the long term thank you for listening to my story I want this to really become a platform for other young adults to come share their story because I know it can be a little bit lonely. If you or anyone you know would like to share their story on the podcast, please reach out to me via the email on the episode description or the show description. 
and um, you're more than welcome to come share your story. If you'd like to write a letter, um, if you don't want to come in, you can also write a letter and I'll read it at the end of the next episode.